So let me invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. It's in your Old Testament, a little more, excuse me, a little less than halfway through your Bible. Nehemiah made a difference in his world. And God intends, God is inviting us as his children to be a part of making a difference in our world. If you don't know the story of Nehemiah, I'm going to tell you the end of the story. Not in detail, but here is basically the end of the story. Nehemiah leads the work that restores the broken walls and the burn gates of Jerusalem. Now you may think, well, why is that a big deal? So, so he rebuilt a city? How's that making a difference? Here's how it makes a difference. Because the walls were broken and the gates were burned, the people who were seeking to live inside of Jerusalem, the scripture says, were greatly distressed. They were vulnerable. They were vulnerable to attack. They were vulnerable to basically whatever their enemies wanted to do to them because they had zero protection. So when Nehemiah was a part of restoring the walls and the gates, he was not just doing a construction project. He was serving people. He was helping distressed people. And we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, because there are many who are distressed in our current world, and they need Nehemiahs. They need men and women who will be a part of restoring. If you wonder why we have a big pile of rocks up here, it's because the morning we began, Nehemiah, we identified what is broken and burned in our current world that needs Nehemiahs. And you were invited, if you weren't here, we invited folks to come up and to write down on a piece of rubble that which was broken that breaks their heart, like child sex trafficking, like abortion, like broken families, like the lonely. There are lonely people on your street? Probably. That's true on our street. Like the lost that you go to school with or you work with or who live on your street, those who don't know the Lord. They are orphans that fill our world, that robs God of his glory, that need people who will say, I will be a Nehemiah. I'm going to seek to, to make a difference in their lives. Now, if you haven't participated in, and been a part of a service where you could come up and, and grab a piece of rubble, there's here in South, over in North as well, uh, and some folks who are online have come in in the week and grabbed a piece of rubble. There's markers there, written it down, and added it to here. Because this is our offering, if you will, unto the Lord of saying, Lord, by your grace at work in our lives, and by your grace at work through our lives, distressed people are going to be restored like they were in Nehemiah's day. That's the end of the story. The beginning of the story, which is where we are still just getting started, the beginning of the story is radically different. When the, the story begins, Nehemiah is nearly a thousand miles away from Jerusalem, and he's serving as a cupbearer to, to the greatest nation on the planet at the time, Persia. So he's a long way away from what's happening. But he ends up making a huge difference to distressed people. And here's why that's important. Every single one of us are on a journey. God has you on a journey. He has me on a journey. And none of us know how it's ultimately going to work out. We only know the journey thus far. There was a journey from Nehemiah when he went from, he didn't know anything about it, till he was a difference maker. And you might not know 
how the Lord's going to use you, how you'll be a difference maker. But the point of Nehemiah, our study of this book, is that from his journey, we would see important steps along the way in our journey. It's as if we're going to learn from his journey what the key ingredients are going to be if we're going to be difference makers. But I believe that the vast majority of you have in your heart the desire to be a difference maker. But it doesn't just happen. There's important steps along the way. Those who are distressed in whatever way, it it doesn't just happen. There's a journey for difference makers. And so I'm going to ask us to, I know it's going to sound weird, but to stop right now and say to the Lord, if this would be your heart, Lord, I want to be in step with you in this journey. I don't even know what the end of the road is. But I want to be in step with you. Because I want to be a Nehemiah. It may not be in a massive way. But even in a single person's life, I want to be a Nehemiah. I want to be one who restores the distressed, the broken, and the burned. So bow with me, and would you invite the Lord to teach you to have your heart on this journey? So, Father, we're early on, but we want to see the end very clearly. Clearly, in terms of making a difference. We're going to leave the specifics to you, Lord, and the path to get there. We're going to trust you. But, Lord, help us open our hearts, work in our hearts, speak to us, Lord Jesus, uh, as we declared in song. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts this morning in a manner that takes us another step along the way of being difference makers. I'm going to pray this in the name of Jesus, knowing it's your work. Would you meet with us to the praise of your glory? Amen. So he's a thousand miles away. What was the first step? Well, the first step was he hurt. What words? He heard the words. The people are distressed because the walls are broken and the gates are burned. When he heard the words, it impacted him. I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So the step of this journey is first a step of brokenness. Nothing changes No one makes a difference until they're broken about something. Until you're broken about the lost that live on your street or go to work with you. Until you are broken about the fact that people live in a neighborhood but are lonely inside their house. Until you're broken by the fact that, that there are children all over the planet that don't have a mom or dad. Nothing changes until we're broken. That's where it starts. Where it starts with Nehemiah, it's where it's going to start with you. Invite the Lord to break your heart for that which is robbing him of his glory. Then Nehemiah prayed. And we've learned in Ephesians, we pray about what we care about. So that's why it starts with being broken, because we care about what breaks our heart. If we'll If we genuinely care, we will pray. I won't tell you to pray. You will pray. And it won't just be a quick prayer. We learn with Nehemiah, he prayed with persistence. In fact, do you remember if you were here last week, from the time he heard about the distressed people until the Lord answered his prayer to begin to make a difference was how long? Do you remember? Four months Four months, Nehemiah was praying, and it's in chapter 1, verse 11, what he was praying. Lord, make me successful today. 
Nothing. Today, nothing. Today, nothing. Today, nothing. He kept praying, Lord, make me successful today. Keep praying. If you care about it, keep praying about it with persistence. And he was fasting. He was abstaining to some degree from food and or drink during this time. It was a reflection of how much he cared. It wasn't just that he lost his appetite. Sometimes something bugs you and you lose your appetite. Nehemiah didn't lose his appetite. Nehemiah intentionally stepped away from a basic necessity of life for some period of time in some manner to focus his prayers because he cared. I will continue to say this through the whole series of Nehemiah. Nothing's going to change until we're broken. If we're broken, we'll pray. And if we'll, we'll keep praying. And we'll be serious enough about it to say there are basic things we'll say no to because we care that much. See, it's a window into my heart that if I think about fasting and I go, mm, <laughs> all I've just revealed is I care more about my food and drink than I do about distressed people. That's a work of God in my heart. A work of God of calling me to repentance when I care about food and drink more than I care about restoring the distress. So this is where it starts. But in that four months of his praying and fasting, something very important is happening. So you're open to chapter two. Here's how chapter two begins. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. So it's the same year in which he had heard, but four months later, that wine was before him, before the king, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Does that seem like a strange thing to include in the biblical text? I had not been sad in the king's presence. Why does that matter? Well, clearly you've never been a cupbearer, so let me help you. <laughs> if you're the cupbearer to the king, he's not interested in negative Nancys and negative Nehemiahs. In other words, if you're sad, not in his presence. Very simple. Good cupbearers <laughs> are happy and positive in the presence of the king. Maybe you've had a boss like that. My daughter applied for a job one time right after college, and the guy said to her, I don't like to see my employees cry. If you need to cry, go to the bathroom and cry and then come back out. <laughs> wow, you're like, whoa. Yeah, he was dead serious. Don't cry in my presence. If you're the cupbearer to the king, you're not sad in his presence. Now, don't miss this. Was he sad? Yes, he was. The important and this might seem like so, like, ticky-tacky here. It's not. The important principle is, is this, that though Nehemiah is broken, and though Nehemiah's heart is where? A thousand miles away in Jerusalem. What's he doing? He's doing his job well. As you are praying and fasting, saying, Lord, I want to make a difference don't let that desire to be an excuse to justify lack of faithfulness, lack of diligence in your current responsibilities. Be diligent to what God has called you to do. It was not a silly line. Nehemiah was saying, my heart was in Jerusalem, but God had me in Susa, the capital. So as long as I was there, as much as I was praying and fasting for Jerusalem, I did my job well in the capital. Question. Would your employer say, you do your job really, really well? Does that really matter? Jesus said, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. It 
matters. It matters because what we do with the little stuff is simply the preview for what we're going to do with the big stuff. Now, we tend to tell ourselves lies like this. Oh, this doesn't really matter, so I'm not working that hard. But if, I mean, if my job really mattered, man, I would hit home runs. No? People who hit home runs in little stuff hit home runs in big stuff. And people who whiff at little stuff whiff at big stuff. If you cheat at the little stuff, Jesus says it's, just, it's a giveaway. You're going to cheat at the big stuff. So let me ask you again. In your job, which you may think, ah, it's not really a big deal. It doesn't really, I'm not making a difference. I'm not like restoring distressed people. What you do, wherever God has placed you right now, is the training ground for the big stuff. Let me give you five quick examples. First, Nehemiah was cupbearer before he restored a city. He didn't just go, oh, I'll go restore a city. He was faithful, and we're going to see, his faithfulness in his job mattered that he was able to then restore a city. Moses led sheep before he led Israel out of Egypt. David took on bears before he took on Goliath. And actually, it was when Goliath was in front of him that he went, the Lord's prepared me for this. He's given me victory over lions and bears. This big guy, same deal. And never miss, when they came looking to anoint the king in Jesse's household, that's David's dad, he wasn't at the banquet. He was where? In the field watching the sheep. And when they went to get him, he was being faithful in the little stuff. How many of us would have went, not fair. Everybody else is going to the party. I have to watch the sheep. You know what you can do with those sheep, Dad? <laughs> Now you go, oh, I would never think that. Yes, you would. You would go, oh, not fair. What? What was God revealing again? Faithful in the little will be faithful in the big. Unrighteous in the little. Just a giveaway. You are who you are, whatever the size. Jesus built houses for like 20 years before he actually said, now I'm going to build the church. That may sound silly. No. Jesus worked with his hand. He was faithful as a stonemason, carpenter, before he began ministry. Elders are called to shepherd their family. In fact, it's a qualification. If you can't shepherd your family, how are you going to shepherd the church? It's one of the testing grounds. Why? Because the little stuff matters. You ever heard, don't sweat the small stuff? That is not a biblical comment. <laughs> not. That's not in Proverbs. We get, we're faithful in the little. If David would have known, oh, I'm watching sheep because one day God's going to give me a Goliath and I'll be famous. But he didn't know. What did he know? I'm just supposed to watch sheep today. So I don't know what the Lord has for you in your future. I don't know how he wants to make a difference through you. But I do know he wants you to be faithful. In whatever role, whatever relationship, whatever setting, God has you in now. Moms who are taking care of kids, God, be faithful. 
Dad's going to work, be faithful. Students going to school, be a good student. Because that's where God has you. Wherever God has you, be faithful. It mattered. I was, I was not sad in the king's presence. And then, four months later, the king actually says, why is your face sad though you're not sick? Very polite. Why do you look like you're sick if you're not? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And Nehemiah was afraid because sad cupbearers are no more. He realizes, wow, the sadness is showing. It doesn't tell us why. I've spent some time kind of marinating in the text going, I wonder why he was sad after four months. Maybe because you and I grow sad when we ask the Lord daily. And it doesn't seem like he does anything. Has that ever worn you out? Maybe because you really want to make a difference, but God doesn't seem to be opening any doors. Or, or maybe because he's gone, I'm still a thousand miles away. And the people who I was sad for four months ago, I'm still sad for today. See, there, there's so much in the heart of Nehemiah that I ask, Lord, make that true of me. Because how many of us were sad for the Ukrainians months ago and, and, and now we've just kind of moved on? You see, there's, that's, not a, that's not a kick in the shin to us. It's a reminder of how easy it is to, to move on when things are a thousand miles away. Nehemiah has not moved on, and it shows through. So when the king asks, why are you sad? What do you say? Oh, it's nothing. Is that what you say to when people ask you an honest question? Oh, it's nothing. Eh, I just didn't sleep that well. Mm, ate something, didn't agree. No, I'm good. Before I move on. Is it, are, are you allowed to come to church sad? Be careful. Are you allowed to come to church sad? Yes, absolutely. Oftentimes people don't, though. There's this idea of, oh, my heart's heavy. I don't want to go. Uh, the king of kings is different than the king of Persia. King of Persia doesn't want you sad in his presence. The king of kings invites you to come to him with what's on your heart. And I, I've come and stood and taught with a sad heart. You expect me to. It's part of being faithful in my job. It's part of our faithfulness is saying, Lord, we come when our hearts are joyful and when we come when our hearts are heavy. I want to... I wanna, plead with you actually don't isolate yourself in moments of sadness don't pull back from the relationships that God has given to meet you in your time see there's reality that oftentimes it's the very time of worship the things we declare in song that sometimes I can declare them with a full heart and sometimes I can receive them with a sad heart. That's the point of our worship. I hope you will engage in, in that regard. So what's Nehemiah say? I said to the king, let the king live forever. What's that mean? <laughs> because my face has not shown what it should, let my, let my mouth say what it should. <laughs> Let the king live forever is, and let me be cupbearer a little bit longer. There's nothing wrong with saying the right thing at the right moment. Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? What's he telling? Tells him the truth. 
Now, what do we take from this? Very simply, there's a time as we walk through our sadness and our brokenness, what's on our heart, that we are appropriately transparent. That we don't hide, that we tell the truth. But there's an appropriate transparency. In other words, what is truthful? The king asked him, why so sad? So he tells him the truth. And what's fitting for the occasion in the audience? There's a getting at learning what's appropriate. On day one, it wasn't appropriate to come in and say, hey, king, the wine's good today, but man, my heart's heavy. The king would be like, mm, that's not what the cupbearer does with the king. That would be inappropriate. It'd be the truth. It just wouldn't be appropriate transparency. And I can't give you <laughs> exact answers for every situation, you should ask yourself, though, is it truthful? Don't tell lies. He was asked directly, why so sad? So part of the appropriateness is he waited until he was asked by his authority. And understanding, it's the audience and the occasion. There's times I tell you what's heavy on my heart. But you don't expect me to tell you in great detail from this stage everything going on in this heart. You would go at times, ooh, what would you? What, what's the TMI? <laughs> TMI, whoa. You ever, you've been in that situation, TMI. Oh, hey, but I'm telling the truth. <laughs> There's a time and place to tell the truth. So understand, he was invited, and he was speaking to a man who could actually help him make a difference. If you're not sure, you should ask somebody, you think this is appropriate? Because the whole idea, I'm going to say whatever, because if I, as long as I'm telling the truth, it doesn't matter the occasion, the audience, it's not true. Nehemiah didn't practice that. So he says, here's what's up. And the king said to me, uh, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> Why does he pray in that moment? Because this is like, Lord, this is what I've been asking for every day for four months. Remember chapter one, verse 11, Lord, make me successful today and grant me compassion before this man. And the guy just said, why are you sad? And I told him, he said, what do you need? <laughs> Divine appointment. Yes. Yeah. And, and get this. Do you ever actually expect the Lord to answer your prayers? <laughs> Sometimes we ask the Lord, and then somebody, we put, Lord, opportunity with the neighbor, opportunity with the neighbor, opportunity with the neighbor, and they start something, you're like, no, not ready. <laughs> you didn't think the Lord was going to answer you? I think he's, Lord, <laughs> thank you. Help me be clear and brief, <laughs> specific. We'll see in a moment. We'll see, not in a moment, if unless next week is a moment. <laughs> we'll see next week what he's ready to say. But, but he prays to the God of heaven. Why? Because he is attentive to this divine appointment. He's attentive to God's leading, he's attentive to God's timing. And part of being a difference maker. Again, don't lose sight of what we're looking at Nehemiah. There's this whole time that he's, he's fasting and praying because what's breaking his heart, but, but he hadn't made a difference yet. He hadn't done anything yet. But he's showing us if we're going to be difference makers, let's be faithful where God has placed us now. Let's be diligent with that.
Let's be diligent in whatever God has done. And then, what? And then as there's opportunity to share what's on our heart, let's tell the truth in the appropriate setting, appropriate time. And when God opens a door, let's be attentive and expecting. We don't know when, but we're asking the Lord to use us to make a difference in a place that he wants to make a difference. So attentive to God's leading and timing. Sometimes the Lord answers so quickly, and other times it seems like he is so slow, right? Oftentimes we're just not ready. (laughs) Other times we give up because we weren't ready. So attentive, attentive to the Lord is shaping his heart in you to be a difference maker. A child's life or a teenager's life or a life of marriage is brokenness. To make a difference for orphans, to make a difference for those who are feeling the impact of a decision of abortion, to make a difference for the unreached and the out of access to the gospel. If God is shaping that Are you going to be ready and attentive to when he opens a door? He sees, Nehemiah sees. Now you may go, duh, how could he not see it? Sometimes we have duh moments where the Lord opens a door for us. But we're so preoccupied by other things. We had prayed about it, but kind of fell off our radar. And the Lord opens a door. So we're attentive to his timing, to his leading. And what's Nehemiah say? If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Now, because we know the end of the story, we're not shocked by that. But listen, up until this point, we have no idea that Nehemiah actually thinks that he may be the one who directly makes the difference. How often have you prayed, Lord, help these people who are hurting, minister to them, but you've never actually conceived that you would be the answer to your prayer. Oh, yeah, I was just praying that you'd help them, God. (laughs) I want you to bless them and and help them and restore them. But I'm like a thousand miles away and really I'm just a nobody, so I'm thinking you're gonna use, no, that's not, Nehemiah, when the Lord opens the door, he says, Use me. That changes how we pray. And remember, the very first time this really hit me was right over here at this pillar, right here. It was a Sunday evening, and we were, I was in charge of missions at that point, part of my responsibilities, and we had a concert of prayer for some of our commended missionaries. We were moving around the room, and one of our commended missionaries was right there at that pillar. And she shared what her financial needs were. And we started praying for her financial needs. (laughs) And I was all in. And then the Lord said, why don't you write the check to my heart? And I was like, well, I was just praying for her to have her finances met. Have I given you the funds to meet them? Yes then why don't you write the check? And it was a moment for me to go, huh, I don't just pray about stuff. I'm prepared to be the the answer. And it was a decision in my, you know what we're talking about, that journey? of keeping it all out here or saying at the end, you know what, as we were praying, the Lord very clearly 
said to me, I should meet the difference. And, and she was a little shocked. She's used to people praying for her, <laughs> not being the answer to their prayers. So it's a little weird when we say, hey, we all pray for uh, 90 host homes. Yes. <laughs> you have a little bit... Yeah, you have a little bit different thought about that at this point in the message than you did like 20 minutes ago? Yeah, Lord, raise them up. Raise them up, Lord. Move in their hearts. That's what we pray. And then the Lord goes, excellent. What about, no, I'm, I'm looking at you. What about yours? This is why people go, we never sit on the front row anyway. You're going to pick on us. <laughs> What about yours? And we get a, a beautiful step in the journey. And I'm not just broken. And I'm not just praying and being diligent to where the Lord has placed me. I am willing to take this next step. And I'm ready to be the answer ready for me to be the answer to my prayers. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not discouraging you to pray for things. <laughs> I am encouraging you that difference makers are ready to be the answer to that which they pray for. This great moment in the life of Jesus, it's recorded at the end of Matthew chapter 9. Let me just tell it to you for a moment, then we'll look at it. But Jesus is with his disciples, and it says they're going from town to town, village to village, and he is sharing, preaching the kingdom of God and, and repentance, and he's doing this great work, and people are responding. And the disciples are with him. And it says, seeing the people, he, Jesus, felt compassion for them. See? You see, he's on this with Nehemiah. He sees and he feels because they were distressed. Same word, distressed. Like the people in Jerusalem hundreds of years earlier had been distressed and dispirited. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus is going through, and, and maybe you think about this when you walk your neighborhood, or maybe with it, you think this when you walk your work, or maybe you think this when you see a world far outside of access currently to the gospel. And it moves you. That's where it starts. He said to his disciples, the harvest in our picture, what? The rubble? Everywhere. It's plentiful. But the workers, the restorers, <laughs> just a few. There's more rubble than restorers. Therefore, do what? Beseech, pray. Pray the Lord of the... See, Jesus is lockstep with Nehemiah. Broken? Pray. Disciples, feel what I feel. Be broken over what I am broken over. And join me in praying that the rubble everywhere would have people, difference makers, who would say, Lord, I'll work. And you know what happens next? Well, that's how chapter 9 ends. And very rarely do then we keep reading to the next chapter and realize. You know what he does in chapter 10? He says, now here's authority. Go be workers. What's he saying to them? Be the answer 
to your prayers. This is the primary thing I want you to hear. Difference makers say, what were the two words that Nehemiah said? Ultimately, send me. Send me down the street to the lonely. Send me to the lost at work. Send me to First Coast Women's Services to meet with those who are considering abortion. Send me to her song to minister to those who are trafficked. Send me to the ends of the earth for those who are unreached. The journey becomes a place where we go, send me. Now, before we get there, there's an important first question. Have you been restored to your relationship with the Father? Before we do for others, we need to receive what God has done for us. So so I don't want us to be simply engaged in good works. I want us to first be recipients of God's grace and healing and restoration in our brokenness. Because, look, every single one of us are broken and need Jesus and his work on the cross to reconcile us to the Father. And I don't want to assume that everybody here this morning has already been reconciled to the Father. So that's the first step. Trusting in Jesus to be your Savior, your restorer. Then, let me do for others what God has done for me. Jesus said it this way. As the Father sent me, I send you. So I want to invite us to respond in two ways. First, if you uh, got elements as you came in, if not, put your hands up and I'll invite <clears throat> guys to over north or here and south. If you need one right here. One over here. Over here, John. Far side. There we go. One up front. You up front. The rest of you, we can prepare by taking the cellophane off the top, then the foil. A heads up, these are about to be no more. And all God's people cheered, yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's no power here. That's why we're free to use these. They're symbols that remind us that this little unleavened wafer is a reminder of he who knew no sin became sin so that you could be restored to relationship with God and that he could do that because he shed his blood that his death was payment for you so we're not restored to God by taking these These are simply reminders of through faith in the sinless Lord Jesus and his work on the cross, we are saved. So we take in remembrance of him. So that's where I want us to start. This is a moment for you to say thank you or maybe for the first time to say, Jesus, I trust you to restore me. So let me give you a quiet moment. Either say, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Or say, Lord Jesus, I trust in you to be my Savior. To take the penalty that I deserve. 
to reconcile me to my God. Lord, thank you that that you have paid for us, that you have restored us to right relationship. We take now in remembrance of you. would be twofold. First, to thank you for what Christ has done in restoring us. But now a second. We don't normally do this at the chapel, but I'm going to invite you, if you are prepared to say to the Lord, send me. If you're prepared to be the answer to your prayer. You don't know when that will happen or how it will happen, but you're not just praying that God will do something. You're saying, Lord, I'm available. And for whatever it is, the band's going to lead us, whether it's the orphan child, the one in need, the abused, the unreached tribe. I'm going to invite you to come and join me here around the rubble. Don't be bashful just to come and, and join me around the rubble to say, Lord, like Nehemiah, I'm inviting you to, to send me to be an answer. So as they sing, join me if you're prepared to say, send me. To the orphan child, send me, send me. To the outsider, send me, send me. To the one in need, send me, send me. To the least of these, send me, send me. To the lost and alone, send me, send me. To the takes courage to say, send me. Risky, right? So we don't know what the Lord will do. But we can trust him. I don't think you will ever regret saying to the Lord, 
Send me. Use me. Be a difference maker. So let's commit ourselves to him in this moment. Father in heaven, you deserve all the glory. You deserve this earth to be filled with righteousness, the joy of the Lord, with those who live in right relationship with you, who know healing, who know love, who know joy and peace. You deserve that, Lord. We know there are distressed all around us. So we are presenting ourselves to be your instrument to the orphan, to the lonely, to the needy, to the unreached, to the abused, to the skeptical, to the lost, to the cynical. Lord, send us that we would go in the power of the Lord. Thank you for that privilege. We commit ourselves to you, not our own strength, but we commit ourselves to you to be your instruments of righteousness for more people finding more life in Jesus. To the praise of your glory and the fullness of of our joy. Would you say these two words now to your Savior? Send me. In the name of Jesus. we can pray for you in any way really would be our joy but this is the church being the church as God intended us to be his instruments thanks for joining us and next week we'll look again at Nehemiah and what it means to be a sent difference maker God bless